Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. There's a way that you can reach your heart out into a room or into a space or a configuration or an opportunity or a conversation or a group. And you can scan the room, as it were, and get a sense of who's there and what their concerns are. And you can tune into yourself and get a sense of what your own concerns are. And then you can, as it were, roll out your heart. You can slowly overlay your own heart, your own understanding of the situation, your own relationship to the situation, your sense of the situation, your openness to the situation to the point where the shape of your heart is parallel to the shape of the space and the room and the group and the people and the situation. This is a more sensitive and available approach than what one might do, which would be to stay very closed off and reserved in that situation, really only concerned with oneself hostile or guarded, defensive, defended, relating to the other people and needs and sensitivities that are also present in that room and in that space. And it's also not the opposite end, overexpanded, oblivious to the details of what's happening there, radically open, but in a way that steamrolls or ignores the particular sensitivities and needs and occupants of that space. And that radical openness won't really serve to build a connection until it gets specific and tunes into the specific people that are in that room and that are in that space and in that situation and in that conversation, as well as my own needs, my own hopes and concerns that I'm bringing into the situation. But when I can successfully do this, I am able to make a shape of the space of my own heart that matches the space of what's happening in this room. And that allows me to listen well and to be moved, to connect further with my actual self, connecting to the actual people in the room and what they bring to the situation. And then sometimes, We think we know what's going on here and we make a space in our hearts that we think matches what's happening in this room, in this situation, and then we just get blindsided by something. Something comes out of nowhere that we didn't anticipate, maybe couldn't anticipate, but likely didn't anticipate or didn't want to tune into, wanted to ignore, refused to accept, refused to acknowledge, and then that thing comes in and explodes and our heart situation and our heart space just explodes and maybe shuts down or maybe freaks out. And we see this situation with Achashverosh in the Purim story as he sits at the seven-day party with his locals in Shushan. And it says, when his heart was glad with wine, he said to his seven friends, to his homies, to bring his wife Vashti to the party 
so he could show off her beauty. Somehow that made sense to him, as it were, that his heart space matching the heart space of the room and this impulse came to him and he trusted it and he demanded that his wife be brought to the party and not surprisingly Vashti refused she didn't want to come to his party she didn't want to be shown off especially according to the rabbinic tradition that he demanded that she come to the party naked only wearing the crown And she said no. And the rabbis added another detail to the story that not only did she say no to him, she said, you're like my grandfather's stable boy. Meaning, I come from royalty, you don't. I was born into the kingdom. I married you. Now you're flexing and trying to show how powerful you are you're like my grandfather's stable boy and not surprisingly Ahasuerus loses it he goes ballistic gets very angry by Ktsof which is a very harsh anger word it's anger out of control anger that boils over to the outside and we're not surprised we don't trust Ahasuerus's heart space when he built it the first time, that it was an accurate reflection of and perception of what's happening in the room and in the kingdom, as it were. And there aren't many people whose heart spaces are calibrated to the level of refusal and insult that Ahasuerus faced at that point. But why? Why is that true? Why is it that the heart spaces we create, which feel open, are in fact quite vulnerable to insult and to ridicule? And beyond the question of why, it is important to state that it need not be so. That we have an abundant tradition of people, starting with Moses, continuing through many descriptions in the Talmud of people who could hear themselves being insulted and feel silent inside. So how would you do that? How would you configure your heart space such that it's not dependent on everything within that space going according to plan? Because if we do that, we may have to sequester ourselves quite severely in order to maintain and retain the kind of heart space that we want to have. We might have to lock the doors and put on the right kind of music and set the vibe in exactly the right way and maybe invite exactly the right people and control the conversation in exactly a specific way. And that's not sustainable and it's not ideal. The ideal of a heart space is to be permeable and available to people and to elements and feelings that are going to come in from outside that aren't expected that aren't predicted, that aren't even necessarily desired, but they still don't have the capacity to destroy my heart space. And if I do maintain that strong, defended heart space, I end up like Pharaoh, whose heart is heavy, whose heart has been strengthened, whose heart is closed, who refuses 
to acknowledge truths that are coming in from outside, as inconvenient as they might be. And we know how that story ends. So some of this we can anticipate. We can pray the heart space open a little bit. We can identify those places, the boundaries, the borders between comfortable and uncomfortable, between welcome and desired and unwelcome and undesired. And we can pray those out. We can acknowledge them. We can imagine holding a Hashverosh's hand before he sends that letter to Vashti and saying, listen, Achashverosh, you're sending this letter to Vashti. It's a big ask, asking her to come to this party naked. She may say no, and that could be okay. That could be an okay response, and you can handle that because you're a big boy, and you're the king, and sometimes people have to deal with rejection, and sometimes people have to deal with refusal. And so I pray and I ask, and I pray on our collective behalf that we be open and that we be able to control our emotions as new things come in to our spaces and into the world. And we can imagine that. And then when Vashti's letter comes refusing and calling him a stable boy, that he can manage that a little bit. And he can feel some anger and some rage, but he knew it was coming. And so he can calm himself down in some way. And he can use his tools and he can use breathing and he can use all kinds of different methods at his disposal to try to deal with it. And then he can come up with a measured and useful response to Vashti's refusal. But there are just some things that don't feel like they would be successfully addressed by this kind of approach of praying the boundaries out a little bit. And for instances and moments and needs like that, we might need different tools. We might need a tool that can do more heavy lifting, as it were, to avoid that calamity and the pain that it would cause. And the tool that Rabbi Nachman suggests in this situation is called the breaking of the heart. Shvirat halev. Halev nishbar, a broken heart, is more structural than situational. In a situation, I might look at the shape of my heart and the shape of the situation, and I might anticipate something coming in from outside, and I might pray the boundaries of my heart open a little bit further in order to absorb and to accommodate some of the impulses and feelings that are coming in from outside. With a broken heart, though, structurally, I am weakening my fortified and defended sense of myself. I'm working the muscles of my heart, even when there's no one else around me who might be trying to impinge on that and trying to move closer and might therefore bring up my defenses and my hackles. When I'm breaking my heart, says Rabbi Nachman, I'm usually doing it alone. I'm usually doing this in heat bodidut. I'm doing this in private prayer, not in the context of a situation, not as I'm about to enter the party that Ahasuerus is throwing. Rather, I'm alone. I'm in the woods or in a field or in my room or maybe I'm in the car. And I'm noticing my defenses, noticing my closedness, and I'm using that as an opportunity to notice more structurally, how do I 
think about myself? How do I think about myself as a separate human who's walking around in the world with their own needs and their own attitudes and their own expectations and their own assumptions and their own demands, etc.? And why? Why am I living that way? Why am I approaching the world in that way? And what can I do to diminish that? Again, not in context of a specific situation, but in general. Why should I be walking around with that attitude towards the world? That the world has to satisfy me and the world has to acknowledge my ego as if it's more important than anyone else's ego or anyone else's needs. And why am I sheltered and why am I closed off? Why am I defended against the world? And I can address that and I can look at that. I can look at the programming as it were. I can look at the code that's been used to program my heart and to make myself and my attitude and my situation the way it is. And I can start to dissemble that. I can start to address it and knock it down a little bit. And I can start to make myself more tender in general. And if I do this work enough times, I become more like Moshe in the sense that I am out there in the world and people are insulting me. Remember, Moshe is insulted by his own brother and his own sister. And he seems unaffected doesn't bother him because he's done that work inside already such that nothing can really rattle him in that same way. And what's amazing, though, that Rabbi Nachman adds about this is that the broken heart is not opposite of joy. In fact, Rabbi Nachman says the broken heart can be done in joy and can lead to even greater joy. It can open us up so deeply and so profoundly, to so much more, to more feeling, to more connection. He says, and he warns us, that if you find yourself getting sad from this process of breaking the heart, then you might need to stop. You might be doing it wrong. You might not be using the right approach or the right attitude to it. It might be some kind of self-hatred or self-loathing that's disguising itself as the pious act of breaking one's heart. And so, Rabbi Nachman even recommends that it be limited, he says, to an hour a day. It's a lot. But to limit our time spent in brokenheartedness to a certain amount in a certain situation where we can go do this work on our own, where we can take apart our assumptions, take apart our expectations, take apart our self-understanding that's limiting us from the kinds of connection and relationship we want to have and we should do this alone. We should do this in spaces and in situations that are built to encourage us to do that work, this difficult and tender work, without wrecking us, without leaving us despondent. It should leave us open and joyous. Again, not the joyous that we think of, like a giddiness, but the joyness of I'm participating now finally in the world. I'm finally connecting, finally being me, finally being real, finally having time and connection with real people and real feelings. And now we can truly expand and we can truly grow, can truly connect. This is the broken heart with joy. And it is apropos of the month of Adar. What is a month of joy? Mishinichnas Adar, Marbimisimcha, as Adar enters, we increase our joy. But the increase of joy is something that has to be done or can be done in a way that is really deep and really structural and really permanent in a certain way. We can e increase our joy and not just have more fun during Adar, but we can do deep work that will allow us to truly open. And that may be why we have a fast day before Purim. We have Tanit Esther. We have this day 
when we do deep work inside of ourselves as Purim enters so that we can truly open and truly receive the great abundance of light and of joy and of connection and friendship, relationship, community, growth that Purim so badly wants to give us. So a blessing for a fabulous Adar, for a deep, growthful, joyous Adar in which our hearts become truly open and that we learn how to use this tool of breaking the heart in such a way that it will lead to deep, sustained, ongoing, loving health and joy. Amen.